Well, good morning. I want to greet everybody here uh, at our Lincoln Park campus, and I also want to extend a greeting to anyone who's worshiping at our acoustic service today. Uh, by the way, our acoustic service has now grown to the point where it is just about standing room only uh, pretty much every Sunday. So we're really excited about that, and it's really just another reminder of why we're starting uh, a new campus of Jacksonville Chapel in Montclair in the near future. So I uh, just want to greet them, also everyone who's watching us online. Welcome to you. Welcome to the second Sunday of Advent. Um, Advent is all about waiting, right? Which we're not that good at, most of us, right? I mean, I think that's always been true of human nature. We, we struggle with, with patience, but I would say that in this moment in history with same-day shopping and high-speed internet and easy pass and um, Netflix on demand, remember what we used to have to do to watch a movie? go to the video store, walk through aisles, physically take a box off a shelf, check it out, bring it home, bring it back, like some sort of cave people, you know? <laughs> what do we do now when we wanna watch a movie? From our couch, right? So all I'm saying is that more than any other time in history, um, it's easy for us to lose the art of waiting. And when that happens, it's bad for our souls because it, 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 it can easily make us demanding and impatient and anxious, angry when we don't get what we want, just really unpleasant people to be with. Um, this is why we need Advent. Because in Advent, just like the people of Israel waited for God's promised Messiah to come, um, we choose to enter this period of waiting, reminding ourselves why the world so desperately needs a Messiah and then becoming so deeply grateful when Christmas arrives uh, because that Messiah has come. So Advent is all about waiting, and we're talking these four weeks about waiting for the different things that are connected with Christmas. Today I wanna talk about waiting for a leader. So we're gonna be in the Hebrew prophet Micah, which was written about 700 BC, and we're gonna be in chapter five, beginning in verse one. We read, "'Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. This is the word of God. So three things that we're gonna see from this passage in Micah. I wanna talk about our desperate need for a leader, and then the unlikely origin of our leader, and then finally, the present and future effects of this leader. Right, so why we need one so bad, um, this unexpected place where he comes from, and then what happens, what are the effects that, that he brings with him. So first, let's talk about our desperate need for a leader, and, and let's start by looking in the context of this passage. The prophet was writing to people from the city of Jerusalem, and as he was writing this, they were obviously in trouble. Look at verse one. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. You know what that means to, to lay siege to a city? 
ancient cities were almost always surrounded by walls for protection. And if you were trying to take that city, to conquer that city, a common strategy was you would surround the city, make sure it's sealed off all around. Um, to get a picture of this in your minds, uh, seen the Lord of the Rings movies? Remember some of the scenes there in the stronghold where they're trying to defend it and outside the walls are, you know, the forces of Saruman and the orcs are trying to get in. And on the inside of the wall, there's, there's Aragorn and Frodo trying to defend it, you know. And, and so the idea is that because it's surrounded, um, no one can get out. But maybe even more importantly, nothing can get in. So no food, no water, no supplies of any kind can get inside the, the walls. So if you're trying to conquer this city, you basically starve it out until it's weak enough, and then you go in for the attack. Isn't this a great Christmassy kind of message? <laughs> Just want to fill your souls with Christmas cheer. That's what was going on in Jerusalem. And we know from historical records, both, both from the Bible and outside the Bible, that in the year 701 BC, Jerusalem was um, laid siege to by the, the nation of Assyria. Can you imagine what it would have been like to live inside the city at a time like that? Realizing that your food rations are running out, hearing the sound of enemy troops outside the walls, fearing for your children. I mean, this was a terrifying experience. So anytime there's a national crisis, people naturally look to their leaders for, for guidance and for protection. But look what it says next. It says, they will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. In other words, um, people of Jerusalem, your king is not going to be able to help you because this enemy is going to come and strike him on the cheek. It's probably not talking about killing him. It's probably symbolic of insult, of, of him being shamed of him being uh, made a fool of, humiliated, like a slap in the face. In other words, this person that you're looking to and depending on to protect you is going to let you down. This is a tough message. So what could it possibly have to do with us? I think this is the connection. Just like the people in Jerusalem, the security and the stability and the peace that we want is always being threatened by something isn't it? It's, always, it's, it's never that easy, right? So sometimes the threat to our security is physical. You know, the doctor says, you've got stage three cancer. And all of a sudden it feels like you're under attack. Sometimes the threat is emotional, you know, anxiety or depression. Just you say, where did this come from? I and mean, we even call things panic attacks, right? As if something is, is attacking you. Sometimes the threat is relational, a friend or a family member that you thought you could depend on betrays you. Um, sometimes the threat is financial or career-related or academic. And sometimes it's very similar to the people of Jerusalem because just like the Assyrians were laying siege to their city, we feel this looming threat of terrorism or we, you know, we look at Russia or we look at North Korea um, and, and we, sometimes we see violence in our own streets. And here's the point that the scripture is making. When we, when we experience that, we feel vulnerable or under attack. Many times we instinctively look to a leader to give us guidance or to give us protection. Don't be surprised if those leaders let you down. I know that we're all pretty exhausted from the presidential election, right? I mean, we've just been through this long campaign. In some ways, that happens every, every four years. Right? Every time there's an election, we just go, Whew glad that's over. But wouldn't you say that 
in some ways this year, um, it's been a little more extreme than usual. Um, the New York Times ran a story shortly before the election where they went out and they were especially focusing on the younger generation called millennials, mostly people in their 20s and 30s. How are they feeling about this election right before it? I want you to just listen to this quote. In interviews this past week with more than 70 young voters in nine states from diverse backgrounds, lifestyles, and careers, it is clear that their mood is decidedly different from previous elections. Despite their varied lives, most of those interviewed shared a disgust with both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, so intense that it is pushing many beyond disillusionment toward apathy. No matter who wins, they don't think the next president will address their concerns or even have an impact on their lives. They have grim expectations for their government and have stopped looking to Washington for solutions. Why? Because they see it as too gridlocked and its leaders too corrupted. Ouch, right? But that, in many people's minds, that's the reality. People in our country, and especially younger people, are disillusioned with leaders. And whether you feel that way about, you know, our national leaders or not, can you relate to that feeling in life where, where you have needed a leader in some way? Maybe you're in a time of some personal crisis and you've looked to maybe your parent or you've looked to a coach, or you've looked to a pastor, or a priest, or a teacher, or some person of authority in your life, and they just haven't been what you needed them to be. I mean, most of us know what that feels like. So how does that affect us when the leaders around us let us down? Maybe we get a little bit wiser, a little more, you know, a little healthy mistrust of authority. Maybe, maybe there can be some good to that. Um, or maybe we become jaded and really um, suspicious and we say, I'm not going to trust anybody anymore. I'm not going to allow myself to get hurt again. But can I suggest something? Would you allow your disappointment with the leaders that you've had in your life to create in you a longing for the one true reliable leader? See, I, I agree with what, what C.S. Lewis wrote once. He said, we don't experience a desire for something naturally unless some kind of satisfaction for that desire exists. So a baby feels hunger, well, there's such a thing as milk. A duckling wants to swim, there's such a thing as water. So if we feel in our hearts something in us that says, I wanna find that leader that will actually be who I need them to be, what will lead me, will guide me and protect me, um, hold out for that leader who, who really does exist. Don't, don't give up the search for that. Um, maybe we've just been looking for that leader in, in the wrong place. So point number two, let's talk about the unlikely origin of this leader. Jerusalem was in a terrible position, and here's what the prophet said next. Here's where the, the prophetic part comes. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. You know, back in that time, 700 BC-ish, if you told someone that the future leader of Israel would come from Bethlehem, they would say, it's ridiculous. The temple's in Jerusalem. The palace is in Jerusalem. Our kings are born in Jerusalem. What are you talking about Bethlehem? Not only was Bethlehem not Jerusalem, Bethlehem was just an obscure town that people just didn't, didn't really know about. Have you ever been driving around North Jersey and you come across a town that you've just said, I didn't even know that was a town. Never happened? 
I remember years ago, for the, I, was, I was driving past Willowbrook on Route 23, and I saw this sign, and it said something about Singak. <laughs> and I just said, Singak? Is that a real place? Who's ever even heard of that? Anybody here from Singak, by the way? <laughs> I want you to know, you live in a fake place. Doesn't it, it doesn't exist. People barely realized that, that Bethlehem was even, was even on, the, on the map. Nobody considered it an important town. That's why Micah says, although you are small among the clans of Judah, they barely even, Bethlehem, they would just drive right through it on their way from Willowbrook to Cedar Grove, you know, just right, <laughs> right through the place. So it says that this long-awaited ruler of Israel would come from this place that nobody would ever think he would come from, this place called Bethlehem. It's interesting because that theme of unexpected origins continues when you look at the ministry of, of Jesus. He had that effect on people. So after being born in this nowhere place called Bethlehem, he grew up in this nowhere place called Nazareth. And there's a scene in the Gospel of John where one of the first disciples of Jesus meets Jesus and he goes to his friend and he says, I think I found the one that we've been waiting for, Jesus of Nazareth. And his friend goes, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, you gotta be kidding me. And then remember when Jesus went back to his hometown and he began to teach in the synagogues and people looked at him and they said, wait a minute, isn't this the carpenter, isn't this Mary and Joseph's kid? Who does he think he is? No one expected the Messiah to come from any of those places. He couldn't be the one we're looking for. He doesn't fit the profile. It seems to me that this is how Jesus works. He challenges our assumptions. He shows up in places where we would never expect him to show up. That was the experience of Kirsten Powers. You probably recognize this face. She's been, on, she's been on Fox and CNN very often. She writes for USA Today and the Daily Beast. So she grew up in this Episcopal church. By the time she got to college, she became a combination of atheist and agnostic. She graduated college. She went on to work for the Clinton administration for six years. Then she moved to New York. She worked in politics. To use her own words, the world that she lived in was aggressively secular, and her friends were overwhelmingly atheist. So anytime she heard about Christians, it was when they came up in the news, and she said it always seemed like they were either criticizing gay people or feminists, and it just repulsed her. A friend once asked her, do you have any deal breakers in dating? And she said, yes, I've got one rule. I cannot date anybody who's religious. And then she met a guy who happened to be a Christian and he invited her to church. It happened to be Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, pastored by Tim Keller, whom I've quoted once or twice. She was surprised and intrigued by what she heard. Months went by, somebody invited her to a women's Bible study. And she walked out of that, that apartment and she stood on the Upper East Side of New York City and she says she realized that everything had changed. In her words, the world looked entirely different, like a veil had been lifted off. She had found what she was looking for in the most unlikely of places. Years before, if you, if you had told her, you're gonna find what you're looking for, your meaning in life at an evangelical Christian church and a women's Bible study, she would have said, you're insane. And yet Jesus challenges our assumptions and he shows up in places where we'd never expect to find him. By the way, um, she, she lost the boyfriend. Um, she kept Jesus after that. <laughs> Can you resonate with that, 
with that experience at all? In fact, maybe even right now, you know, you're here because, I don't know, somebody invited you, or you know, you're here kind of reluctantly, or you're listening kind of, kind of skeptically. You've always associated churches like this with some kind of anti-science view or some particular political position, you, you would never think, and maybe you don't think, that you'll ever find the thing that you're really looking for in a place like this. And maybe God wants to surprise you because he has this unique way of meeting us right in the chaos of life when we feel under siege from whatever it is that's attacking us in life and we feel like the things that we have looked to to support us and to rescue us have fallen through, have failed us. He has this habit of showing up in places we'd never expect to find him. Bethlehem, Nazareth, a women's Bible study, Jacksonville Chapel, you never know. You never know where you might find him. See, ultimately, Jesus doesn't come from any of those places. I mean, we might encounter him in those places, he might come through those places, but ultimately, he comes from someplace beyond all those places. Micah 5.2, one more time. But you, Bethlehem, though you're small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. But listen to this, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. See, Jesus didn't originate in Bethlehem. He originated in eternity past. And that's why he's the one who can fill these eternal longings that we have in our hearts. So, what happens when we recognize that Jesus is the one leader that, that we've been looking for? Let's talk about the present and future effects of our leaders. Keep reading in verse three. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. This is talking about the birth of, of the Messiah. And the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. Remember what had happened not too long before this to the nation of Israel? They had this ugly civil war where they split into two nations. So there was, there was Judah in the south and, and Israel in the north. It was this ugly stain in the history of the country. So here's what Micah is saying. When this leader comes, he will bring back together people who were formerly divided. Isn't that an awesome thing? That the Messiah will have this reconciling effect on people. Here's why I think this is so important for us. So many times when we feel under attack or under siege in life, it's because of relational breakdown. I mean, isn't that so much of our stress? Division between husband and wife, division between family members, feuds with neighbors, racial divide, national divide from other other nations, and Jesus brings with him the power to unite divided people. You remember early last year after the situation in, uh, right around the same time of, of Ferguson, Missouri, the shooting happened there, and then, and then the situation in Staten Island with Eric Garner. The most powerful thing I heard anybody say came from a very unlikely source, Benjamin Watson, who plays tight end for the New Orleans Saints, posted his thoughts on Facebook. And in case you haven't heard it, I'm gonna read you an excerpt of what he wrote. He said, ultimately the problem is not a skin problem, It is a sin problem. Sin is the reason that we rebel against authority. Sin is the reason we abuse our authority. Sin is the reason we are racist, prejudiced, and lie to cover for our own. Sin is the reason we riot, loot, and burn. But I'm encouraged because God has provided a solution for sin through his son, Jesus. 
and with it a transformed heart and mind, one that is capable of looking past the outward and seeing what's truly important in every human being. The cure for Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, and Eric Garner tragedies is not education or exposure, it's the gospel. I'm encouraged because the gospel gives mankind hope. I so appreciate those words because when we allow ourselves to be led not by our emotions and not by fear, but by the example of Christ and even more importantly, the power of Christ in us, walls come down. And it doesn't, doesn't just happen between races and some of the most productive conversations on racial unity are taking place with the gospel at the center. But even beyond that, it happens between husbands and wives and friends and any place there's been relational breakdown, Jesus brings peace. Keep reading verse four. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord is God, uh, uh, the Lord is God, and they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he will be our peace. So Micah says, not only will this leader bring reconciliation between divided people, he will be that strong, reliable leader that everybody wishes they had, and he will do something that no other leader can do. He will give us the gift of inner peace. You see that last, that last phrase? And he will be our peace. So even when life might be not peaceful, when we're under attack, you know, emotionally or financially or physically or whatever, because of this coming leader, we will be able to live in peace. Like St. Augustine once said, you have made us for yourself, God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Um, Jesus is the one leader who gives us the rest inside that we deeply desire. But here's the most amazing thing, I think. The way that Jesus brings peace is not the way that any other leader brings peace. And this is what makes him so unique. Look again at the beginning of verse four. It says, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Doesn't that sound kind of tough and rugged? Like a shepherd with a club and maybe a knife, right? He's standing, he's shepherding his flock. But look how Jesus himself talked about his role as a shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. See, the reason that Jesus is the most unique leader in the world is because he did something that actually seemed very weak at the time. He laid down his life. Micah 5.1 says, they will strike Israel's leader on the cheek with a rod. And back in 700 BC, when that was written, those were discouraging words. Even your king is not gonna be able to help you. But don't you see that those words are also about Jesus? Because didn't they strike him on the cheek? Didn't they beat him with rods? Didn't they spit in his face and put him on a cross? And Jesus could have put a stop to all of that at any time, but he willingly put himself under siege for us. He felt the force of all the evil of the world and he absorbed the justice of God for that evil so that we could be forgiven and connected with God. Because that's where peace comes from. It comes from connection with God. That's the way that we can have real peace. Jesus accomplished that by laying down his life. So he is our peace. But let's be honest, even if we have complete inner peace because we're connected with Christ, we still live in a messed up world, right? Anybody gonna argue that? 
there is unrest all around us. Remember what we said last week, we are living in this in-between time, in this, this already but not yet time. So we can have inner peace now because Jesus has come. And yet in order for the world to have peace, Jesus is gonna have to come again. And he promised that he would, but he's not here yet. That's why we have Advent. And so this Advent, would you allow yourself to notice the brokenness of the world? There are people around you who are under siege for all kinds of different reasons. Would you allow yourself to feel that with them? Remember Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be called children of God. Allow yourself to mourn. Remind yourself why this world so needs a savior. Be in on that with this world that's suffering. It's what he calls us to. Allow yourself to realize again how imperfect human leaders are. If there's a person who has let you down, cut them some slack because they're just human. You know, Don't expect someone to be God who's not God. And maybe if you've been putting too much of your hope in a human leader, you go, oh, this person is great. Maybe it's time to repent of that and say, man, there's really only one who's great. And then look for ways to point people and continue to point yourself to the one leader who will never fail us. This shepherd who was born in Bethlehem, who laid down his life for the sheep, who reconciles divided people together. He gives us peace in the midst of life's attacks. One day he's coming back to make all things new. And until then, at Advent, we wait. Would you rise for our closing? Let's pray together. Lord, I know that standing to the right or to the left or behind most of the people in this room, there are people who feel and are under attack in all kinds of different ways. Lord, thank you that you care and I pray, Lord, that we will care and that we will be in, just in it with them, Father, that we would mourn and weep with those who weep, that we'd support and encourage and give hope. But Lord, thank you that Jesus has come and that because of that, we have something to, to offer. We have a strength, we have a hope. Lord, we have a power that reconciles divided people and I pray that that will be going on in relationships this week. Lord, that there will be many forgiven people who go out and are reconciling, peacemaking, forgiving people. I pray, Lord, that that would happen in homes represented by these people in this room this week. I pray, Father, that you would help us to realize that any leader that we've looked to that we think is gonna be our savior is not except for you. So, Lord, would you build our appetite for you? Make us more aware, Lord, of how much this world needs you and make us more joyful that you've come and that you're coming again. Lord, I pray this Christmas would be so meaningful as we enter into this time of waiting and that we will rejoice, Lord, when Christmas comes. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, today as you're leaving, if we can pray for you about any burden on your heart, you'll have prayer counselors up front. God bless you. Have a great week.